You can be seated. Oh, man. Wow. What a day. What a day. I love it. I love it. We, God just, or, you know, the enemy tries to get in and mess things up. It doesn't matter. We're going to plug away. We're going to push on, aren't we? That's what we're going to do. Amen. So uh, we uh, started a series last week that we called Living and Active. And, and what that means is, is that that's the word of God. That's the holy word of God that hopefully you are holding in your hands or maybe you have an app on your phone. And I hope that the word of God is more to you than just another app on your phone. I hope that it's not just one of those things where I'm going to check the weather. I'm going to see what's going on in the news. Oh, by the way, I'm going to read a Bible verse. I hope it's more than that for you. I hope that you understand that the words of God are God breathed out to you. I have in my hand the holy word of God, and this is um, a little bit different than the pastor's journal that I had uh, last week. The pastor's journal that I had Last week was published in like 1846. That's, a, that's a old, isn't it? And I threatened to, or I mentioned that I would pass it around. And some of you literally cringed that I would pass around a book that was dated in 1846. Because you were like, I don't want to be the one that rips that. I don't want to be the one that destroys that. And I, and, and I have in my hand a Bible that was published in 1840. Now, here's the point of that. This is pretty amazing, and this is the most precious thing that I am holding and I've ever held in my hands. And I have a wife and four kids, but this is the most precious thing that I've ever held in my hands. You say, why? Because it was published in 1840? No, because it's the breath of God on a page. It's the breath of God on a page, that's why. When I was uh, in the Philippines, we went, I mean, it was hours, days, to travel to the Philippine Islands. While we were at the, on the Philippine Islands, if you can turn me down just a little bit, Gabe, just, I'm just humming here. Once we got finally to the Philippine Islands, we traveled enough hours to go to a remote city in the jungles of the Philippines. And I'll never forget when we got there, there was just these people group that were there and we were sort of, we had a team of people that we were there that we were going to feed them lunch that day and then I was going to preach to them. I was going to share God's word with them and they had it all set up for us to distribute, you know, lunch out to them, soup and you know, crackers and chips and things out, out to the people, and they love it. They, they were something that they were prepared for every single week that this church in the Philippines was going to provide lunch, and so we just had the opportunity, our team, to go and to partner up with them. I mean, this was in the, this remote area, this remote jungle in the Philippine Islands, days to travel there. Once you get to the Philippines, hours to travel to this location, and I'll never forget, I saw on the, one, on the bridge in this remote place, I saw John 3.16. You guys know John 3.16? You all know John 3.16. You, you are a Christian or not a Christian, and you're familiar with John 3.16. You see it at football games of signs that say John 3.16. And I think that that's the most famous verse in all of the Bible. And the reason why, it's because it's the summation of all of the Bible. 
I believe that it's the reason why we're here. It's the reason why God put us on planet Earth. It's the reason why we exist. It's the reason why you woke up today. It's the reason why you have breath in your lungs. It's the reason why God has given you a purpose and a plan for your, for your life is John 3, 16. For God so loved. I mean, we are in a remote jungle in the Philippine Islands in a place that I've never heard of with the people that don't speak our language and on their bridge, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know it. I'm not, I know I'm a pastor. I get paid to know this verse, but you know it too. For only his only begotten son that whosoever, 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 who you say, I'm a whosoever, you're a whosoever, I'm a whosoever, they're a whosoever, whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have eternal life. Isn't that the greatest verse in all of the Bible? And I would say, I said out loud next to a pastor who pastored in the Philippine Islands, I said out loud, I said, I can't believe that that verse has made it all this way from where I come from. I was blown away from where I have come from. That verse made it all the way to that remote city in that remote jungle in the Philippine Islands. I was blown away by that. And I'll never forget what the pastor said back to me. He said, you know what is most more amazing than that, pastor, is that where those words came from. They came from the very mouth of God to a world that needed to be rescued. Isn't that what God is all about? That's the kind of love that God has demonstrated for us by giving us his one and only son. And so today I want to just talk about not only just this one verse, but what this one verse and how it all comes together in the whole word of God. In the whole word of God that this one verse is what sums it all up for us. The word of God is, I believe, broken down into four acts. Now, I, I, the way that you, I hope that you look at God's word is that you look at God's word as a story. That it not as a pieced together collection of books, even though it appears that way, but what God intended for the word of God to be is a story that is unfolding. A story that is all about one person. You say, is it all about me? No. Is it all about you? No. It is all about one person. He is the greatest person person who is alive and his name is Jesus. That's what the Bible, the whole Bible is all about. It's all about Jesus. Thomas Jefferson, you know Thomas Jefferson, right? The third president of the United States, one who, one of the guys who signed the Declaration of Independence. By the way, this Bible up here was 65 years old, just beyond the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Do you imagine that? So maybe some 65 or 70-year-old preacher who was alive when the Declaration of Independence was signed used that Bible. That's how old that Bible is. That's pretty amazing, isn't it, to think about? It was for me anyways. Maybe not so much for you, but it was for me. Some old man who was preaching God's word was alive when the Declaration of Independence was signed. Anyways, Thomas Jefferson. Do you know that Thomas Jefferson has a 
a Bible. Do you know that? Thomas Jefferson has a Bible. Thomas Jefferson's Bible is interesting. Thomas Jefferson decided that he was going to read God's word. And you know what Thomas Jefferson did? And you can see this and you can find this, this, his Bible in the Smithsonian. He decided that, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to remove all the things that I don't like or don't agree with in the Bible. And you know what Thomas Jefferson did? Thomas Jefferson took a couple Bibles and he took an X-Acto knife and he started cutting out all the things that he liked and what the Bible said and he pasted it into another book and he created his own version of what he thought was God's word based on what he liked. And he just took out the things that he didn't like. You say, who would do that? We all do. We all do. We all read God's word and go, well, I like that. Oh, I like that God wants to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I like that, right? Don't you like to know that? Don't you like to know that God, you know, Jesus said you know, that you do unto others as you wish you would do unto you, like right? the golden rule? We like that. But when Jesus says, hey, I want you anybody that comes after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. That's not something that we really like. And so we say, I, I'm going to ignore that one. Or when Paul says, you know, I am crucified with Christ. He says, nevertheless, I live. It's not me, but it's Christ who lives in me. We say, you know what? I like my life and I like what I have to do with my life. And I like the direction I'm going in my life. I like to do things my own way and what makes me happy. And the idea that Jesus is sometimes asking me to sacrifice some things in my life, I don't really like that. And that's where Thomas Jefferson was. He just exacto knifed out the things that he liked and he pasted it into another book so that that was the way that he could follow. That was the way that he could live, that was the things that he knew, that that was for him and him alone, and, that, and he hoped that other people would follow those methods as well. But listen, that's not what the word of God is. The word of God is saying, I, no matter what I ask you to do, it is all breath on a page for you to follow because I know what's best for every one of you, God says. Jesus, after he resurrected, by the way, that wasn't in Thomas Jefferson's Bible. Thomas Jefferson's Bible had Jesus dying on the cross, but he didn't have Jesus resurrecting from the grave. Thomas Jefferson was a naturalist, so he didn't believe in the supernatural, so all of the miracles of Jesus were omitted. And only the things that he could come around and wrap his head around were the things that he wanted in his word. But I hope you believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. If you don't believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, according to the Apostle Paul, we are all men most miserable if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. Because if all we do is live for this life, boy, we're in trouble. Because I don't know if you know this or not. I'm sure you do, but this life is tough. Don't you think? This life has difficulties. This life has situations that we wish that we wouldn't happen, circumstances that arise that we wish you didn't have to go through. I don't, I'm sure you already know this to be true about life, but life is tough, and it's good to know if you're a believer and if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus that we have hope beyond this life. Do you have hope beyond this life, Christian? Amen, that's exactly right. We have hope beyond this life. And so when Jesus resurrected from the grave, people didn't think that he actually would do what he said he would do, but he, exactly what he did. He rose from the dead. 
And Jesus partnered himself with a couple that was walking on the road to, they say, to Emmaus. And Jesus was having a conversation with this, these people, but these people didn't recognize Jesus. These people were sad. They were upset because they, they knew Jesus or they saw Jesus and they listened to his teachings and they saw his miracles. But yet they were disappointed at the fact that they, just, they saw him be crucified on a cross and they thought that it was over. They thought that his teachings were done. They thought that what he was going to do for the people was all, all said and done because they thought that he was going to be the one that was going to bring those people out of oppression. But when he died, they thought it was over. And so Jesus walks alongside of these people on this road and he starts to ask them questions about why they're upset and they begin to tell him why. And it says that in Luke chapter number 24, it says in verse 27, it says, The beginning, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He started to share with them about, about himself and how he was in all of the scriptures. And it says in verse 32, he says this. He says in verse 32, he says, that he said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Like Finally, he revealed himself to them. He disappeared. They didn't know where he went, but he revealed them, himself to them, and they were saying to themselves, wow, our hearts were burning within us as he was speaking to us, explaining that all of the scriptures are around him. All of the scriptures are about him from the very beginning from Genesis to the revelation that they're all about Jesus they're all about Jesus and the Bible is broken up into what I think there's four acts in in the Bible and act number one is creation creation the beginning you open up your Bible to Genesis 1 and you'll see that in the beginning God created God created the heaven and the earth And somewhere around day six, you and I come on the scene, which means that, you know, the story was already beginning to unfold in the story of Jesus. It was already beginning to unfold before we even came on the scene. And then day six, it says that God made man and he made woman in his own image. Isn't that amazing? You and I are created and made in the very image of God. God used his hands to form man and to form woman in his very own image. And he has marked us with a personality to know him. He has marked us with a mind to think like him. He has marked us with an emotion to feel the way that he feels. He has marked us with the will to make good decisions that God has designed you with a unique purpose to know God in a real, intimate, personal way. That was you, that's you and me in creation and you and I are unique than any other created thing that God has put his stamp on you. God has put his breath in you. If you were here last week, God stood over Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's what the word of God will do for you. It will breathe into your life. It will give you life. 
And you will think the way that God thinks and feel the way that God feels and have a will in making decisions to what God wants you to do. And that's the mark of God in your life. But I want you to know something that even though that sounds pretty, it makes you and I look pretty special, the story isn't about us. Even though you and I were made in the image of God and designed by God and put God put eternity in our hearts to know that there's something greater and bigger beyond this life, that the story of God is not about you. The story of God is about Jesus. That's what the story of God is about. In Colossians chapter number one, in verse number 15, here's what it says, that he, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. I thought we are the image of the invisible God. We are, but so is he. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, it says, for by him all things were created. So you and everything else that we see in all of the world and all of the things that we can't see in the world, all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You're special, but it's, it's not about you. You're amazing, but it's not about you. You're absolutely wonderful, but your life, this life, is not about us. It's about him. It's created through him and for him. It says in verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You're wondering what's going to hold things together in your life. You're wondering what's going to hold together your finances. You're wondering what's going to hold together your relationships. You're wondering what's going to hold together your career. You're wondering the things that, what, how are you going to hold together through a dif- difficult circumstance of a bad news from a doctor. I got to tell you, there is one who is going to hold it all together for you. His name is Jesus. And in the story, in the very beginning of creation, he is the star. He is the one who it's all for. He's the one who God designed all of it for and for us to focus around, for him to be the center of. It's all for him. That's act one, creation. And as God created humans... Act two came into existence, and that's what I call rebellion. Rebellion. And rebellion is revolt, or in other words, you might hear, have heard it before, it'd be described as the fall. I think that it's much worse than describing it as the fall. I don't think that we fall into sin. I think that we are rebellious and we revolt. Because we think that it's all about us. We think that it's all for us. 
We think that the world revolves around us. I do, you do at times. I'm telling you, it is. And when we sin, it is rebellion. That's the way that it is. And see, sin isn't us going a bad way, us doing bad things. Sin is much worse than that. Sin is doing it our own way. Sin is about saying, you know what, I'm not going to go that way or bad way or bad thing. It's about doing our own thing. That's what sin is about. It says in Isaiah 53, in verse number 6, it says this, Isaiah 53, 6. All of us are like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This was written by a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. And this is what Isaiah wrote about the one who is to come who is going to be the savior of the world. Does this not look like Jesus to you? That he came despite us doing our own thing. He came and he took the iniquity of us all for us. Sin is not just about turning the wrong way. It's about turning our own way. If you read the Old Testament, you'll you'll see a, a common theme in the Old Testament. And the common theme in the Old Testament is this phrase right here. They did right In his own eyes. This is what happened to humanity. Humanity decided that they were going to do what was right in his or her own eyes. And that's how oftentimes we find ourselves living. That we're going to do or we're going to think or we're going to feel or we're going to make decisions about what is right in our own eyes. Not what God says we should do. Not the direction that God wants us to go. But we want to, like Thomas Jefferson, we want to cut out the things that we like and disregard the things that we don't like. We, Thomas Jefferson, did what he thought was right in his own eyes. He did. He took God's word and he took it his own way. That's what he did. And this is sometimes what we do. The Bible, the word of God, is a story about Jesus. And when they did it their own way, God stepped in. And you can look at every single character in the Old Testament. And you know what you'll see? You'll see a story of Jesus. And way back in the garden, and Adam and Eve, when they, when they took of the fruit of the tree that God told them not to eat from, they could have everything else in the garden, but you just can't eat from this one tree. They, they rejected that. They decided, you know what? God is probably holding out on me, even though God's saying, listen, you can have it all except for that. You can have anything you want except for that. Leave that alone. You say, why would God even do that? Because there's joy found in obedience too. And so he said, listen, I'm telling you, you can have everything, but you can't have that. And and Adam and Eve, tempted by the serpent, said, you know what? God is holding out on us. We're going to take it anyways. We're going to take what God says we can't. We're going to do it our own way. 
And as soon as they took of that fruit, you know what they realized for the first time? They realized they were naked. They were naked the whole time, but for the first time, they realized they were naked. And you know what they felt? You know what humanity felt for the first time? Maybe you felt this before, but they felt shame. They felt guilt. They felt condemnation. They felt sorrow. You've never felt that before, have you? I have. And for the first time, they felt that. But you know what God did? God came down and says, in the cool of the day, whatever that means, it just sounded cool. He's walking in the garden, and you know what they're doing? They're doing what you and I are good at doing, hiding. Hiding from their sin. Hiding from the fact that they decided that they were going to go their own way. And God stepped in. And he took an animal out of the garden that he created. And you know what he did with that animal? He slaughtered that animal. And he took the skin of that animal and he covered Adam and Eve. He covered them. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. That God was already beginning to unfold a story. God in his sovereignty already knew what was going to happen to humanity. And he knew that humanity would rebel. He knew that humanity would revolt. Yet he still was in motion, a plan in place of what he would do to solve that rebellious problem. And he decided to use an example of sacrificing a perfect created animal and to use that animal to cover up their shame, to cover up their guilt, to cover up their condemnation. That's Jesus. Do you see him? Noah. You know Noah? Noah built a what? All right, you're listening. Noah built an ark. And God came to Noah and said, Noah, you know what these people are doing? All these people in the land, they're, they're doing what is right in their own eyes. They're living their own way. They lived in a world of debauchery. They lived in a world that was just like, you just shake your head and going, how can people do these things? By the way, does that remind you of a world that we live in? That you scratch your head and go, what are they thinking? And, and God comes to Noah and says, this is the kind of world that we live in. And he, goes, he, he says, I've been patient with them long enough. I've been patient with them long enough. I've given them myself that they can just listen to and follow and know that they can have a life of fulfillment and purpose and joy and faithfulness. But said, Noah, I'm going to bring a flood. And I'm going to flood the whole earth. Noah, I want you to build an ark. And in the process of Noah building that ark, Noah went out. You know what Noah was known as? Noah was known as a preacher of righteousness. You know what that means? Noah went out every single day in between his time of building that ark. And he went out to the people that he knew and every single person that he could come across with and say, listen, God has run out of patience with us, but he's given you a way out. There is a way of salvation. Get on the boat. Get in the ark. He's given you a chance. And they all scoffed at him. They all laughed at him. And the only ones that made it on that ark was Noah and his family. 
and all of the human race at that time was wiped out. Oh, God promised that he wouldn't do that again. He wouldn't flood the earth again, but I got news for you. He's going to bring fire down next time. You say, man, I'm first time here. You're a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Not really, but it just works right now for me today. (laughs) I'm really not. I know this sounds harsh, but this is the reality of the word of God. This is the kind of stuff that you and I don't want to read about, that God is going to bring down his wrath on the earth one day. And he is patient with you. And right now through Jesus, like he did through Noah, he's saying, get on the right road. Get in the boat. His wrath is coming. And you and I deserve it. And what you and I don't deserve is the ability to get in the boat. And what every single person that Noah knew had no right to get in the boat. The story of Noah, the person of Noah existed in the Bible to tell a greater story of one person named Jesus. Do you see him in Noah? You see, good. Because I'll keep going. God decided to raise up a a nation to establish his own people. And he used a guy by the name of Abraham. He started it with a man named Abraham. And Abraham promised, or God promised Abraham a a son. And he told Abraham, he says, listen, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. He says, and the people that will bless you, I will bless. And the people that curse you, I will curse. And he says this to to Abraham. He says, and through your seed, Abraham, through your nation that I'm establishing through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know what he was thinking about? He was thinking about Jesus coming out of the shoot of Abraham's seed. And through Jesus, every tongue, every tribe, every nation can be blessed through Jesus that came out of the lineage of Abraham that God has established. And one day, God delivered on his promise and gave Abraham his son Isaac. And God told Abraham, testing him in his faith, testing his trust, testing his allegiance, said, I want you, Abraham, to take your son Isaac, and I want you to go worship. You should read the Bible where it says, Abraham took his son, and they went to go worship. And what God asked Abraham to do was to take his son put him on an altar, bind him to that altar, and drive a knife through him. And Abraham was obedient. And Abraham took his son Isaac. They went into the wilderness. He built an altar. He laid down his son on that altar. He tied down that son on his altar, and he lifted up that knife. And as soon as he lifted up that knife, God says, okay, Abraham, I know, I know that you trust me. I know that you are, gonna, you, you are only for me. I know that. And Abraham's going, and as Isaac is going, well, what's going to replace this sacrifice? Because a sacrifice must happen. What is going to substitute me, dad, fa- the father, sacrificing his son? 
God stops it and says, no, not yet. But one day a father will sacrifice his son and for you and for me, instead of you being on that altar or me being on, on, on that altar, Jesus went on that altar called the cross of Jesus Christ. And so that's a story of Jesus. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You're like, I don't understand the Bible. You don't need it. Listen, I'm telling you right now, it is creation. It is rebellion. And it is all about the story of Jesus. And I can go on and on. I don't know how much time you have, but I got a, a lot of time. I do want to go on a bike ride later. <laughs> so I do want to wrap this up. I mean, Moses, oh my goodness, God, God says, Moses, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you as a deliverer. By the way, he was a royalty and he became a shepherd. I don't know if that's the story of Jesus, but that's good enough. He was royalty, he was in heaven, he was on a throne and he left throne to come to an earth to shepherd his sheep. That was Moses' story, that's Jesus' story. Moses, I'm gonna call you to deliver a people out of slavery, a people out of oppression. Moses, I'm sending you to deliver my people out of slavery, my people out of oppression, and to lead them to a promised land. Isn't that the story of Jesus? God sent his son as a deliverer to deliver us out of slavery of sin, out of the oppression of our transgressions and to lead us into a promised land that you and I will realize one day. It's the story of Jesus. David, David, I mean, come on. David is like this, this little shepherd boy, this underdog story, and he's facing this Goliath, this giant Goliath, this champion, and, and, and David is going, I can take him down, not on my own abilities, but on the power of God behind me and with me, and I'm going before him, and I'm gonna slay that giant, and that's a picture of Jesus. David is Jesus. The giant is sin, and Jesus took the sin down and cut off its head for you guys in the room. Oh, have you ever read Hosea? Oh my goodness. Jesse, you, had, you read it? <laughs> he just started laughing. Hosea, I'm telling you, what a story of Jesus. You gotta read Hosea. Hosea was a man of God. By the way, Hosea's name means way of salvation. And Hosea was a man of God asked by God to marry a prostitute. You say, who's the prostitute in the story? Us. Us. He said, you're going to marry this prostitute and, and she's going to do her own thing and go her own way and live how she wants to live. But Hosea was still faithful to her despite her going her own way, doing her own thing. Hosea was still faithful to her and, it, and she found herself one day on a slavery auction block and, and Hosea got word that his wife who betrayed him, his wife who walked out and him, his wife who left him for somebody else found herself on the slavery auction block and he decides that he's going to go and find her and pay for her not to be a slave anymore but to come back into his loving arms. That's Jesus. The Bible says that you and I were bought with a price 
that our life is not our own. It belongs to him. You and I were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, but he died to make us alive again so that you and I can know what it means to stand before a holy God and for him to welcome us into his loving arms and say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all through the word of God. That's the Bible. That's the word of God for us. It's all about Jesus. So act three is rescue. Rescue. You were rescued. It says in Colossians chapter number one and verse 13, it says this, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14, he says this, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's the one who rescued us. That you and I were once in a domain of darkness, doing our own thing, living our own way, but he pulled us out of that mess and he rescued us from it so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins so that you and I can be transferred into the kingdom of his sons and daughters of God. That's the rescue plan of God. That he was sacrificed one time for all time. He was bruised for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. He exchanged our unrighteousness. He took your unrighteousness and my unrighteousness for us and he gave us in exchange his righteousness. He took our pain. He felt our shame. He died our death. He was buried in our grave. This is Jesus, by the way. Is this stirring your hearts at all in this room today? This is Jesus and what he's done for us. He was raised to life by the power of God. He pulled the stinger out of sin. He put to death, death. Don't you like that? He put to death, death. That the grave was swallowed up in victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of this was simply just a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't deserve it. And I don't either. But it's all just a free gift called grace. And that moves us into the final act. It's the final act is that new creation. Act four, a new creation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Do you know that through Christ Jesus and accepting the free gift of God, that you are a new creature and you and I are living in uh, as a new creation. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come to you and are coming to you. Colossians 
Chapter 1 says in verse 18, tells us this. He also, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Does he have first place in everything? Is he first place when it comes to your relationships? Is it he, does he have first place or does Jesus have first place? Does she have first place or does Jesus have first place? When it comes to your career, does your career have first place in your life or does Jesus have first place in your life? Because he should be first place in everything. When it comes to your kids' activities, do do those have first place in your life or does Jesus have first place in your life? Because he is the head of the body, the church. That's what he is. And I I hear people all the time say, you know what, Pastor, I don't know how I feel about the church. Listen, I don't, it doesn't matter to you how you feel about the church. You know what God is doing in this world right now? He is into the church. It is about the church. The church is not peripheral. The church is the center of what God is doing. You say, what is God up to in this world? I'll tell you what God is up to. God is up to the church. That's what God is up to. You say, what should be more important in my life? This thing, that person, this hobby, this event, what should be more important? You know what I'll say to you? Not because I'm a pastor and I, I like saying it, but because Jesus says it, the church should be first place for you a little quiet in here but I'm telling you this is what God is up to this is the act that we're living in right now we're living in the church age and what God is doing in the world and way that God is bringing hope into the world is through the church it's through the church Whether you like church or don't like church, that's beside the point. God likes church. As a matter of fact, we are, according to Colossians 1.18, we are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. He's the head. We are his hands. We are his feet. And you know what? We have the message. We don't have a message. We have the message message and that is a message of rescue and redemption we have the greatest message in the world we have the message of hey guess what you were doing your own thing you were going your own way you were doing what was right in your own eyes but God extended a gift to you grace to you you can be forgiven of your sins. You can know what it means to have a new life and you can be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Isn't that, church, the greatest message in the world? I'll keep working harder at this. (laughs) He is the head of the church and we have the greatest message. You know how he feels about the church? You know what he calls us? He calls us the bride. He's the groom, we're the bride. I love my bride. And my bride loves her groom. You know what happens when you or anybody messes with the groom around the bride, my bride? She gets mad. She gets angry. If I do something to tick you off or 
whatever, and you start talking bad, I'm telling you, you don't want to be around my bride because she will throw down if she needs to. There is no difference as the church, as the bride of Christ. And I'm telling you, when people want to talk bad about our groom, you and I should be ready to say, you know what, that's my groom. I'm in love with him. He's the greatest thing that is alive. He has a message of hope for every single one of us. He extended grace and kindness and mercy to me, and I'm not going to stand for that anymore, and I'm going to just live my life and put him first place in my life. Why? Because it's all about him. It's all made by him and it's all for him. That's what the whole word of God is about. It's all about him. And you know what the amazing thing is as a new creation? One amazing thing out of millions is the fact that as a new creation, we get to go and we get to step into a place called forever. We get to go and walk through. Why? Because he put to death, death. The grave was swallowed in victory. And so you and I, through faith in him, get to walk into a place called eternity, eternal life, heaven. And you say, wow, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven. Why? I'll say, why? Because I, man, I can't wait to see my house. I can't wait to see the streets of gold. I can't wait to get my crowns. I can't wait for him to tell me how good of a person I was on this planet. Listen, if that's what you're looking forward to when you get to eternity, you're missing the message of the word of God. Because what's gonna be better than when you get to eternity than the house that he's prepared for you? Do you get a house? Sure. Is there gonna be streets of gold? Yes. Is there gonna be cities made out of pure gold with every kind of jewel imaginable? Absolutely. Are you gonna receive a crown or multiple crowns? Possibly. But you know what is gonna happen when you get there? You're gonna cast your crown to his feet. You're not gonna care about your house. You know what you're gonna care about? You're gonna care about one thing and that is Where is he? Where is he? And it won't be hard to find him because everybody there will be around him, bringing him all honor and all praise and all glory. Everybody will be standing around the worthy lamb that was slain for every one of us. And what will matter more than what you will get or what he will say to you is you are my savior and all of life was meant for you and I've given you all that I can on the short time that I have in my life to make it about you and not about me. I don't know if you know this or not, but the world doesn't revolve around you. 
It is not your world and we're living in it. It is his world. The world revolves around him from his story, his story. He has, it always will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And from the very beginning of creation until the new creation, when we step into eternity, all of it's gonna be the same. It's all for him. So when you read your Bible, and you look for things that will only help you and will only benefit you. That's a, you're short-changing yourself. You're short-changing yourself. Because the Bible was not meant for you. And for your honor and for your glory and for your fame. The Bible is better than a, just a manual for life. You ever heard that described about the Bible? It's better than that. It's better than that. It's about how you and I can live for the one who's worthy to be lived for. His name is Jesus. And when you live for him, you're going to experience things in your life that you've never experienced before, ever before. You're going to have a peace inside of you that you've never felt before. You're going to have a joy that overflows out of you that you've never experienced before in your life. Listen, it's not about us. It's about him. That's the story of God. That's the story, the amazing story, the extraordinary story of Jesus and how he redeems and restores everything. It's this. It's this. That's why we have it. God, we, uh, Jesus, we lift you up today. Every day. The church that gathered here on Market Street, we just want to exalt you, not just with our words today or our excitement or our thrill. I pray that our hearts were burning inside of us over understanding that all of it was made by you and for you. It was all written to point to you. The Old Testament was written to look forward to you. The New Testament was written to look back at what you did. But the, in the cross and the resurrection are at the center of humanity and the hope that every human can have in spite of their rebellion, despite the revolt, that you came to our rescue. And you allowed us to be a new creation. To live out every single day the message of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. And that one day when we leave this earth, we will be ushered into a new creation where we will come to the full realization that it is all for you and all about you. And we long for that day. Not because of what we benefit. And not because of the things that we like. But because of who you are. And what you've done. For every 
one of us. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness that you've extended to us. Be with each person here today. I pray that they leave here with their hearts burning with a passion to just want to live for you. And maybe that's reordering some priorities in their life. And maybe that's just figuring out a way to put you first in their life so that they can experience only the things that come from you out of your throne room, out of heaven, into their hearts. I pray that we leave here today forever changed and reorder what our life is all about. And it starts with us saying, I'm going to be the body. I'm going to be what I'm supposed to be in what you're doing in the world today called the church. The church is the center of what you're up to. I pray that each one of us say, I'm engaging in that even more than I have ever done in my life. Because it's all about the head of this church. It's not about me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.